Hello again and welcome to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 KSRQ. We are available online to the masses at RadioNorthland.org. You can listen to us live or you can listen to past editions of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. It's very easy. We got a little page within the page on that website. You can check them all out. Yes. It's like seven seasons of this show, man. It's crazy. You can also listen to us live, too, uh, on your phone by the uh, app from TuneIn. Okay, we got that out of the way, uh, how you can find us. Thank you for finding us if you're turning us on today. I'm Glenn Broggett along with my host, co-host, partner in crime. He's been doing some uh, recruiting. He's been doing some uh, uh, assignment work. Uh, he's down there in the mobile studio way down deep in the heart of Texas. It's always a pleasure to have him back on the program. My co-host, oh, uh, he's part of the Wrestling Memories in Thou and Now family, Mr. Michael McCurdy. Mike, uh, you are very lucky to be where you are at right now as we are recording today because I am a freezing. Yeah, I'm going to stay deep in the heart of Texas, man, because I'm, I, I don't do, I don't want to do minus zero or below zero temperature. So you can keep that there. Yeah, so so what is the temp down there as we are recording today? I, I just I just want to be curious because what we're getting right now, it ain't, it ain't even close. I, I think we're about I think we're at about fifty today. So so that is that one of those? Is it is a fifty where you guys are feeling like shivering type of fifty where you you're gonna put on like the snow pants type of thing, or is this a, a bearable fifty for you? I'm comfortable. I, I don't mind fifty. You know, it gets down into like the thirties later on at night, but. Yeah. Nothing near no minus 10s, minus 20s. So. <laughs> and I've been, of course, uh, sending messages uh, to you, you know, over the last uh, past weekend where I was out on the road uh, driving to shows and coming back from concerts. And, oh, man, it, it was it was something else. It, it was one of those things you just have to experience to really, really get the full gist. I, I don't I think I'll leave that experience to you, man. <laughs> I'm good. But what I'll do is leave the wrestling, the wrestling, all that good stuff up to you instead of worried about the cold climate because you know what? We may be freezing up here in Minnesota. We need some warmth. We need a guest that's going to heat things up. We need a heat magnet, man. We don't need happy, happy. We want somebody going to set this place on fire. And I do believe through your uh, very good and very astute scouting that you have some uh, you, have a, you have some very good results here on this edition of Wrestling Memories then and now. I do, man. I'm very proud to have this guest on tonight. Uh, he's going to be more of, of the now. Actually, change that. He's a little bit. He's, he's the now, and he's the then. He's a second-generation star. If you look around here in the Texas area, this man is definitely one of the top ten wrestlers in Texas, as well as out of Texas, just recently working with Ring of Honor when they came through here through San Antonio and Houston with the uh, Road to G1 Supercard. He's also had a chance to work in Japan. One of the – this is a man that you would think – eventually you're going to see him on the big stage because he's that damn talented. You can't keep talent like this bottled up just in Texas. And like I said, second generation star, his father, one of the, the great Frank Dalton. A lot of our fans are going to remember that name. We're going to talk about him a little bit. And like I said, we're also going to talk about the career of today's guest, none other than dirty Andy Dalton. Andy, welcome to the show, man. Uh, thanks for having me, and what a uh, what an introduction! Now I got to live up to all of that. Uh, I appreciate that, though. Once again, man, appreciate having you on. And man, it's a it's a, it's a reputation that I think it's going to be easy for you to live up to because I've had a chance to watch a lot of your matches over the past few years, and it's not just me. Your people are saying all over you're one of the top talents in Texas. 
you're one of those indie guys that people don't know about yet, but are going to know about soon. And I totally agree with that. And we're going to talk about you know your career and all that. But first off, we're going to let our fans, our listeners get a little bit more about you. What were some of the influences? What, what got you into wrestling? What did you see on TV as a little dirty Andy Dalton that got you interested and decided you wanted to be a wrestler? I believe my earliest memory would be uh, either WWF Superstars or All-American Challenge. Um, My mother actually has a home movie. Uh, She had set up a camera to record my grandparents who had came to visit from Shreveport. I was living in Houston at the time. Uh, My mom had set up this camcorder to record kind of like a family breakfast. Um, And in the video, you see my mom come to the living room multiple times and say, Andy, come have breakfast, because I was literally about two feet away from the TV screen watching wrestling. Um, I don't remember this instance, but it's documented. So uh, as far as I know, I've been watching wrestling forever. My mom jokes because she used to go watch my father, who you mentioned a second ago, she would go watch my father in the sportatorium while pregnant with me. So I guess technically I've been watching wrestling since I was conceived. Um I mean, as far as I know, forever, like it, it's pretty much just been ingrained in me my entire life. As far as influences go, um, I grew up watching WWF. Uh, I discovered WCW. Um, in my teens, I discovered ECW. So it wasn't until, you know, the internet kind of become a thing that I was able to find out more about other wrestling, like your ECWs, and then around the 2000s, like when the Indies really picked up. Um, my youngest influence, I guess, would have to be Hulk Hogan. I was like, in the other kid, I was a Hulkamaniac. Um, that was my main, that was my guy. Um, as I got older, uh, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Noah Hart were my guys. Uh, after a chance meeting and interaction with Bret, I was no longer a fan of his. Uh, and that was when I was 10. And as a teenager... Uh, I discovered ECW, and I I remember being completely enamored with Steve Carino. Uh, which we can touch on him a little bit later. Um, and then as the Indies picked up, I kind of discovered more and more. It just went from there. Now, who are some of the guys you know? You've mentioned Hogan, Carino, Bret Hart, owner. Great names, by the way. These are legends in the sport. I've had a chance to meet Steve Carino myself and such a very down to earth guy, but who are some of the guys that you saw on TV or maybe a match or two that you saw that that's when you realized I want to do this. Something that made you decide this is what you were going to do. Uh, again, I'm not sure that I can remember a moment. It's easier for me to tell you that, my entire life. Like all I remember telling my dad when I was younger was I want to be a wrestler. My mom told me, she, she tells me that she told me that he was a wrestler when I was watching it on TV once. I was like, cool, I'm going to grow up and do it just like him. So like, as far as I know, there's no distinct moment. It's just a, Hey, at two years old, three years old, whatever the case was, I decided I'm going to be a wrestler. Um, and that's kind of how it happened. Now, we, we are talking about, you know, we said, you know, second-generation star. Your father was um, Frank Dalton. 
let's talk a little bit about him a little bit. Let's kind of educate our listeners a little bit about, you know, Frank Dalton, because obviously that would be kind of one of your influences. Yeah. Uh, my dad wrestled in the sixties and seventies, uh, as Frank Dalton, he was trained by his partner, Jack Dalton, who is Jackie Fargo. Um, or no, I'm sorry, Don Fargo, my fault. Um, and they toured a lot in the Gulf Coast area, St. Louis, um, a lot in Texas, the Mid-South area, more of a Southern uh, tag team. They went as the Dirty Daltons, the Hells Angels. Um, my dad, unfortunately, had a stroke which paralyzed the entire left side of his body uh, and was out of wrestling for about 10 months, but Cowboy Bob Kelly of Gulf Coast fame would train with my dad every day to get him back in ring shape. So he got back into wrestling even after, you know, having his entire left side paralyzed. Um, he did that for a good bit. And I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall. He wasn't as good as he was, but he was still good. Um, so he kind of, he, he did some enhancement talent for uh, our enhancement position for Joe Blanchard out in uh, San Antonio in Southwest Championship Wrestling. Then um, I guess he just figured that, you know, it kind of run his course and wasn't really much else for him. So he had taken a job uh, as a, I'm trying to think of the name. Uh, well, he, he worked at a hotel at the Gallery in Houston as a bellhop. Yeah. And he got a call one day from Buck Robley, who was booking Mid-South Wrestling at the time. And was like, hey, we got this character, Kamala, and we would like for you to come manage him uh, and wear a mask and be known as Friday. So my dad was uh, the original Friday, not Kimchi, for Kamala in uh, Mid-South Gulf Co- Mid-South World Class and Kamala's 1984 to 1985 WWF run. Um, in March, or right after, so not many people know this, and it's kind of one of those cool like facts, uh, WrestleMania 1, the body slam match, was originally supposed to be Andre the Giant and Kamala. Uh, Kamala ended up leaving WWF and going back to Mid-South um, with my dad and Akbar. And they did an angle on TV where Terry Taylor was feuding with Kamala. He hit the ring and attacked Kamala and Kamala's opponent. And then Pal drove my dad on the floor, broke his neck, quote unquote. Um, and that was the end of my dad's wrestling career. That was around March of 85, and I was born in June. Um, another interesting fact, like there's a lot of cool stuff that like, I don't know, the wrestling business has afforded me a lot of cool opportunities and different stuff, but I just feel like sometimes... I don't know if it's fate or, or what it is, but so my dad's last appearance on Mid-South Television, like I said, Terry Taylor hit the ring and Kamala was wrestling an enhancement talent and Terry Taylor Powell drove my dad on the floor, broke his neck. Well, the enhancement talent that Kamala was wrestling on Mid-South TV was Shawn Michaels, who is one of my idols. So that's kind of a cool thing for me. Um, but yeah, in March of 85, that was pretty much it for him. And I, I was born in June and, he become just, uh, in his eyes, he took more of a, a real-life job, as he would call it. Now, growing up, you know, when you were a kid, did, you, did your dad talk about his time in the ring? I mean, was, is there any, have you ever had a chance to, like, see footage of your dad in the ring? Anything like that? Uh, no, unfortunately, in that era, because 
it was in the infancy of technology. They would record the matches, air them on TV, and then use the same tape and just record over it to air it. So there's not really a lot of footage. There's a little bit of Gulf, uh, Gulf Coast footage out there. I can find plenty of Kamala footage with my dad, but it's not actual in-ring. If you go on YouTube and look under my – my dad wrestled under a weird name for a little while. I, I, I don't know the story behind that. I never really got a chance to discuss that with him. He wrestled under the name Gene Stevens, and you can find a match with him from Southwest Championship Wrestling versus Jose Lothario. Uh, and you can find a match from the Key Auditorium in St. Louis Wrestling. I believe it's Kevin Von Erich. Um, as Gene Stevens, but as far as like seeing any like Dirty Dalton uh, like tag team footage of Frank Dalton, there I don't I don't believe any exists, uh, and I've searched very very hard for that. Um, but like I said back then, the technology was so different and so much more expensive. They uh, that's not really how they they didn't you know record stuff to document and keep it. They just recorded it, aired it on TV, and they were done with it. Yeah, the tape would go from, they would record the tape, the tape might travel around, and then when they were done with it, yeah, they would recycle and reuse it. But, you know, you hear about guys up in Oregon, like, you know, Buddy Rose, who had a collection of the Portland wrestling because he kept his own physical copies. So, you know, you, you, would, you got to think that there might be some footage out there, but like you said, you've done a lot of extensive search and haven't found anything yet. But, you know, if any of our listeners out there have any, you know, links or any clues to ideas because, you know, Gulf Coast Wrestling, I met Bob Kelly many years ago, such a great guy. And there's a lot of Gulf Coast historians that maybe there might be somebody out there that, you know, could contact you and say, hey, you know, we've got a little bit of footage from Gulf Coast of your dad. So That would be awesome. I would love that. Uh, I mean, I hear stories all the time. And I've got a, I've got a scrapbook that's filled <clears throat> with newspaper clippings and stories and all kinds of fun stuff. So, but I'd love to have some footage to go along with that. Now, back to, you know, your career, you know, you're watching uh, wrestling, Shawn Michaels, Owen Hart, you know, your father was, you know, a wrestler at the time. When did you begin training and who did you train with? Uh, I actually began training and my father passed away when I was 10. And when that happened, it was kind of like, a, okay, look, I, I've talked about it my entire life. Now it has to be a thing. In my mind, I was going to, of course, in my youth and complete lack of understanding of the business, just the world in general, as most children don't have a very strong grasp on that type of stuff. In my mind, I was going to train and become WWF champion and be able to educate the entire world on, you know, what my dad did. Um, And that's not to say it's not possible, but I, I just, you know, as a child, there was a, I had a one track mind. Uh, I discovered a school in Shreveport where I was living at the time with my mom. I was about, <clears throat> I believe I was 17 at the time. And I went and did their tryout, uh, which was just them basically blowing me up, like just tiring me out to the point of exhaustion. I actually threw up twice. Um, I was by no means in any kind of physical shape, uh, I did the tryout with them, and they were like, all right, well, if you're interested, let us know. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe, I remember thinking to myself, maybe this isn't for me. Um, this this was a lot harder than I ever expected it to be. Uh, so I was like, all right, well, I'll get back with you guys. I went home that night, 
and on the ride home, I was like, dude, there's no way I'm going to pass this up. Like, this is an opportunity to, like, to do what I want to do and live my dream. So when I got home, I called the school and was like, hey, I want to go ahead and enroll. I've had time to think about it, and it's something I'm very serious about. Uh, well, the person running the school uh, did not answer the phone. I left a voicemail, never heard anything back. A couple weeks later, uh, I was on the Internet, and somebody approached me, and they were like, hey, um, everyone that was going to that school that you went to and did your tryout at is being referred to this other school in Tyler, Texas. And like I said, I was living in Shreveport at the time. Would you like, and, and again, this is a complete stranger approaching me on the internet. He's like, Hey, uh, do you want to go check out this school in Tyler with me? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so I met up with him and we went to Tyler, checked out the school. And after watching their training session, just one time and kind of getting a feel for things, uh, I was like, yep, doing it. Went home, um, told my mom, and she's like, all right, cool. So every Tuesday and Thursday, I would travel with this gentleman to Tyler, Texas, which it was a two-hour drive, training for two, maybe three hours, and then two hours home every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, unfortunately, about a month into the training, uh, he got tendonitis in his elbow. And he told me the doctor told him to not train, and he told me he's like, "Hey, I think I'm just, I think I'm not gonna do this. This isn't for me." And I was like, "What?" So you know, I was defeated, and I was like, "Man, another opportunity just gone." And I remember my mom being like, "Well, what's the problem?" And I was like, "Well, he was my ride to Tyler every Tuesday and Thursday." My mom's like, "Well, I'll drive you." So she would work during the day, and then every Tuesday and Thursday for about five, four or five months straight we would go drive two hours to Tyler train for two hours and two hours home. And that was in 2003. Um, that was from April of 2003 to about November ish. And the school actually closed down. Um, so I, I trained for about six months and I, I really didn't know what the next step was. Uh, I was kind of worried that, you know, I didn't get enough training or I wasn't prepared. So I asked my trainers, I was like, guys, what do you think? You know, the school closed down. What, what do we do? What do I do from here? And they were like, you pretty much learned all you can at a school. The rest of it's going to be uh, what a lot of old timers refer to as on the job training. But like, you need to just get out there and get booked. So in January uh, 31st, of, which was yesterday, wasn't it? Or is that today? Wow. Uh, I had my first match today in 2004. Um Wow, that's crazy. I just, wow, yeah. So I had my first match uh, for David Fuller at NAWA DFW um, January 31st, 2004, and I pretty much have hit the ground running. I've been going strong ever since. Uh, I think total, if you if you counted up all the time I've had to take off for a few nagging injuries, my separated shoulder, a hyperextended knee, uh, out of... So this is the start of my 16th year. Um, I guess you could say I've missed about five or six months total since I started. Uh, going strong every weekend, sometimes four or five times a weekend. Um, heck, just two weekends ago, I uh, had three matches in one day. So at three different promotions. So I, yeah, I was I just about to mention that because I was there that night. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, For one of those, at least. Yeah, that was the – you were at the second one, correct? 
Yes, I was at uh, the Sabotage DCW show. Yep. Yeah, that was the second one. And then people hear that, and they're like, oh, that's cool. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't that bad. That was, you know, three matches in, in one day. And I was like, well, it takes a physical toll on you. Plus, the third match I was in was a bunkhouse brawl where there was glass, there was chairs, uh, a barbed wire board. I was bloodied up pretty bad. I've still got, I, I'm going to have a scar for the rest of my life on my nose and forehead. Uh, I'm used to the scars on my forehead. I've got plenty. But uh, yeah, that was a pretty rough one, that third one. So, But, yes, on January 31st, 2004, I've pretty much hit the ground running and ain't looked back since. I will say, Glenn, I, I saw him. He came back to the – uh, location for the second event after he wrestled that bunkhouse brawl. And I will say, I got to see this man. And you could see he was a little worse for wear after that match, but still up and moving though, man, which just gives you kind of a testament to, you know, the character of Andy. So. Oh, I'm so, I'm very impressed by that, man. That, that, that just, I mean, the fact that he granted it out to three shows with injury or no, is also a, a big compliment to uh, this guy's work ethic to Andy's uh, drive and determination. Yeah, I, I, I. All right, well, Glenn, I'm gonna pass the mic over. Yeah, I, I, you're gonna pass the mic over to me, Mike. Uh, oh, let me, let me uh, get I'm a few. Pass qu- the mic over to you for the hot tag. Glenn. All right, hot tag over to me here. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting to to listen to your you talk about your your life as a, a second generation and also uh, working your way up. This has been what you've you've completed. This is your 16th year now. You're heading into the business. I want to talk about when was that first match you had against somebody uh, that you remember uh, from watching as a kid, and what was it like to to work with with veterans like that? It, was it a little bit intimidating to get in? with guys well you know once you're, you're just starting to cut your teeth but uh, was it a bit interesting when you work with with, with a, a bigger name guy from from the past i mean considering with the nostalgia factor and who who were some of those guys uh man that's a really good question i'm trying to think of like uh a veteran-esque type person that i you know like my first actually i, I you know my first quote-unquote name that i ever got in the ring with uh and this may surprise you uh it'll be an interesting story because uh, especially with how things are going today in modern wrestling, uh, it, my first name to be in the ring with was Jazz. Um, and she, I mean, for lack of a better term, she beat the hell out of me. Uh, it was intimidating. Uh, I mean, look at her. Um, but I think one of the things that sets me apart from other people, uh, and this is something that was said to me even during my training, um, I picked up on a lot of the stuff in training very naturally and I'm not going to sit here and brag or boast, but I really feel like the fact that this has pretty much been my entire life, uh, all of my life, it's all I've ever wanted or like focused on or done anything about. I, I feel like that gives me an advantage. So while I'll always get butterflies and I'll always get anxious and nervous, uh, there's also a bit of confidence I think I carry that not many other people do because I know that I was born for this. Um, so being in the ring with Jazz, while it was intimidating, I was like, well, I'm supposed to be here, so and this is my job. I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. Um, so, yeah, it was intimidating, but it was also a lot of fun. And, I, I mean, I've been blessed to work with a lot of people, like trying to think of maybe somebody else – that you could consider a quote unquote name or that's man. I've, I tried to make a list the other day of like people that I've been in the ring with. I've been in the ring with, let's see, uh, Jerry Lynn has taught me a lot. 
uh, Rob Conway, Scotty Suhadi, uh, Rodney Mack, uh, Steve Carino. I mean, there's a lot of but a lot of the guys that I've been in the ring with are more modern guys. Like, I mean, I X Pac, Joey Ryan, Homicide, ACH, AR Fox, DJZ, Davey Richards, Jimmy Rave, Sammy Callahan. I, I it's a it's a long list of a lot of people. Um, but it, and, and I never, I've always say this, uh, and I don't even know if I've publicly said this, but like amongst conversation with my friends and fellow coworkers. There's only two professional wrestlers uh, walking on God's green earth that if I was booked to compete against, I would be intimidated and worried about the quality of my performance in comparison to theirs. And that's uh, Jay Lethal and Kenny Omega. I believe those two are undoubtedly the absolute, like, they're the measuring stick in pro wrestling. Oh, they're abs- um, absolutely. I have to agree with you 100%. And I mean, we remember up here, I mean, in, where I'm living and, and where I'm broadcasting, we're not too far from uh, Manitoba. So we get to know uh, when when Kenny Omega was just starting to come up and work those Winnipeg shows, uh, he was just a guy that had so much talent. And to see him just be on the, the international stage, firstly, and, you know, with his success in New Japan. And now, you know, with all of these, uh, these big news and rumblings of uh, this new uh, starter company uh, with the uh, All Elite Wrestling, you're hearing a lot more about uh, you know him being one of those sought-after free agents that they want and both the WWE wants. So this guy is in a great place and a great time, and it came with a lot of hard work, busting his ass up in uh, up in Manitoba to be making it to some of the biggest stages of the world. But he had one of he was one of those guys like yourself. He just didn't quit, man. And look at where he's at right now. There, there's bidding wars with this guy. So, I mean, there's just the sky's the limit when, when, when you put together and you got the talent and the goods and you just have that desire where you watch other people fall to the wayside. And even though there's times when you want to go down that, that, that road with them, you stick to it. And that's a great result of somebody, uh, just a perfect example of just sticking with it and, and, and look at all the success he's had. Exactly. And that's one of the things, like, I was around, I, when I started wrestling, there wasn't much of an indie boom, like Ring of Honor and TNA, like early TNA had gotten some traction and, you know, gotten some pretty good press and was kind of a big deal. But like, I've been around, I, okay, people ask me all the time, what's the biggest crowd you worked in front of? To me, that's not important. I want to know what the smallest crowd is because I want to know what kind of a person you are if you wrestle in front of a small crowd and still give it your all. The smallest crowd I've ever been in front of is two people. So I've been, I, and, and like, I pride myself on the fact that like, I'm a lifer. I'm not going anywhere. Um, death is, in, you know, knock on wood, that doesn't happen anytime soon because uh, I have two kids. Uh, death is the only thing that would take me completely out of the professional wrestling business. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that Kenny and, and so many others are successful as they are is, is, not just having longevity, but being, you know, the, the essence of longevity. Uh, I've, it's so crazy to see the Indies now and think about the Indies 10 years ago uh, or even 15 years ago. The Indie scene and just professional wrestling as a whole is definitely on an upswing. And I think those guys like myself, like Kenny Omega, and by no means am I comparing myself to that guy as far as like work ethic goes or nothing like that. That guy's, that guy is a machine. Um, those ones that stick around through the hard times and the bad times, you know, they good things come to those who wait and work. 
So I, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, you know, I've lost friends, family, girlfriends, uh, other jobs. I, I've sacrificed a lot. Uh, and I think in the end, that's going to pay off for me. I mean, for heaven's sake, uh, my daughter was being born in Arlington, Texas, and I was at a tryout in Chicago for Dragon Gate USA. So I think the sacrifice and all that one day will pay off for sure. And that's one of the things that I, I pride myself on. And, and how great and is to that? See someone like, to see someone like Kenny Omega, obviously, I mean, he's had his own hardships and I don't know enough about his personal life, but I know that he's endured some hardships and I know that he's sacrificed a good bit uh, to get where he's at. And to see someone like that succeed, it's, it's, it's motivating. Uh, and I mean, we don't talk regularly by any stretch, but Kenny's a friend of mine. I met Kenny when I was over in Japan. Um, he follows me on Twitter, and we'll exchange DMs every once in a while. I never, I never try to bug the guy because obviously, you know, he's a big deal and he's extremely busy. Uh, but to see someone that successful, that hardworking, that you know, kind of has taken a path somewhat like myself, it's, it's, man, it's so motivating. It's so, uh, it's so inspiring. It's awesome. So like uh, I, I like I said I pride myself on my work ethic and the fact that like I won't give up and it's good to see that you know the work ethic and the time that I've put in like somebody else it's paid off so I'm hope you know I'm, I'm pushing that one day it'll pay off for me you know with the advent of social media uh, in the past 10 15 years I mean the next last five years here has really kind of opened it up uh, as far as you know wrestlers networking with other wrestlers more conveniently and that also has led to a little more synergy for these guys to you know say go to a different part of the country because you know they're talking with other wrestlers from different parts it's almost like it's a creation of the modern you know of the old school territory in its own modern way uh, how important is that to have that that networking to get you gigs outside of uh you know where you usually have been playing to your home crowds how is that what has that been like uh to have those connections and to be able to get out and go for these tryouts and go to these different parts of the country and, and kind of learn under different learning trees uh it's been awesome like i i i've always had a facebook i didn't realize the importance of other social media platforms until I did my first Ring of Honor tryout. And I want to say 2014. And one of the things that was stressed to us was you need to have a strong social media presence. So I literally went home, opened up a Twitter. I, in the last couple of years, I opened up an Instagram. Uh, it's important. It, it, it's the internet can be very, very bad in a lot of ways that has negatively affected the wrestling business. But I think, in the same token, it's, it's also positively affected the wrestling business because it connects so many different avenues of guys, of ways for guys to make money and like to get themselves out there and to present more opportunities. It's definitely been very, very helpful um, through social media and, you know, not just social media, but the internet in general, like YouTube. Uh, I'm, I have a new highlight video being uploaded in the next couple of weeks. And I'm hoping to, you know, spread around and get even more work because my my calendar is extremely busy and extremely full already. Like we're in the end of January uh, tomorrow, and I've already wrestled for the second biggest company in the United States, Ring of Honor, twice this year, uh, and I've got some really big things coming up. Um, so I think social media is extremely important and extremely helpful. But just like anything else, it can also be detrimental to anything you're trying to do positively 
if you don't present it with positivity. One of the things that I, I like to tell younger guys when they come to me for advice or ask me questions is like, you get out what you put in. And that's not just you get out success from working hard. That's you, you put forth negativity on Twitter and you're going to receive negativity back. Um, I know we've spoken on him a couple of times now. Steve Carino has become, uh, I mean, I idolized him. He's the reason I bleached my hair. Um, I got to meet him uh, at a show in San Antonio, and then about a year later, we got to work. I'm coming up on the anniversary of that. Um, one of the he, he's always you know texting me and giving me some really good insight and helping me out with a lot of stuff. One of the things he said uh, last year, I was dealing with some personal issues, and I wasn't booked WrestleMania weekend, and I had no intention of even going to New Orleans. And then some fan tweeted me and was like, "Hey, are we going to see you in New Orleans? Is there anything going on?" And I was like, "Nope, no one seems interested, so I'm not going to waste my time even going down there." He immediately texted me within like five minutes of me tweeting that. And he said four words, I'm sorry, five words that has literally stuck with me and will stick with me forever that I tell guys all the time. Don't be bitter on Twitter. And it just shows that like how, how much of an influence social media has when I have a WWE performance center coach texting me about my Twitter. That just shows how far that kind of stuff reaches. Yeah, very, very much. It's the blessing curse of social media. I've always said it's like you got you know you always got to make sure you don't step over that that line and go completely over the edge. If you get if you know especially when you're going on there with emotion, uh, there, there's, there's got to find better ways to channel it. And there's been ways. There's been good. There's been bad on the internet. And it's also been just a great way to get guys uh, you know f- you know familiar you know people familiar with these guys. I mean, look at the success stories of, of a guy like say like Sammy Callahan. I mean, just for a clear example there. I mean, this is a guy that's wrestled all over the Indies. He's been through every level, every tier. He even was at NXT for a while. He's worked Lucha Underground. He's been with Impact. He's been with MLW. And I'm sure he'll probably find his way to AEW, All Elite Wrestling. I mean, that's that's a guy that when I think of success and the way he he did it, the DIY grassroots sort of way by getting his name out there, cutting good promos, working with guys, creating a little controversy. He's one of the guys that really comes out for me. And another guy that I know you're familiar with and I had a chance to chat with him last year around this time and uh, when he was just starting to make some waves and he's got so much upside is uh, Brian Pillman Jr. So uh, let's talk about like Sammy and Brian Pillman Jr. Just an example of guys that are are going out there and uh, you know showing the 360 of who they are you know both with social media and some of the stuff they do in the ring. I mean this is this is another one of those great stories and a good hope for, for indie guys and, and the crop of wrestlers coming up in the next few years. Definitely, uh, and Sammy's a guy that I I had been compared to for a long time, um, both in the fact that like. If you know anything about Sammy, you know that growing up, he was a fat kid, um, and I was too. Uh, we both battle body dysmorphia, uh, which is a disease that kind of centers around the obsession with one's appearance. Um, so, like, I was compared to Sammy a lot, and I remember when he got released from, or when he quit NXT, uh, I went to a graphics designer and was like, can you make a graphic that shows me and Sammy together and then put a bunch of promotions at the bottom and be like, hey, who's going to book this? Because, I mean, every time I was compared to Sammy, I, I got it because, like, I idolized that guy because he made, like you said, it was a DIY thing. Like, he created more buzz for himself. He got himself a job with NXT just based off buzz. Um, 
so like I, I look up to Sammy in a lot of ways, and he's been able to carve his own path and make his own. He's made. He's a guy that I, I like to say he's made a niche market mainstream, um, because I don't know if I, I'm not. I don't know if I'm necessarily a fan of the word niche because I feel like niche. It category that's a category category in itself, and I feel like there's enough people and wrestling fans all over the world that you don't need a niche market. It's just a wrestling fan. Like it's just, you're just a part of the market. It's it's like, there's different types of music. There's different types of ice creamers, different types of wrestling. And Sammy was able to make his style, what he does and everything about him. So like mainstream and he's gotten himself so over, uh, it's been awesome. Um, and I work for his company in Iowa, Pro Wrestling Revolver, and it's just it's 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 crazy because you know he lives in Dayton. He was living in Florida when he was with NXT. To know that he's running in a town like Des Moines, Iowa, which sounds like the middle of nowhere, and driving there the times that I have, it pretty much is the middle of nowhere. Um, I I live by there. No. Oh, wow. No, no, I live a minute further up, further up from nowhere. I live way up in northwestern Minnesota. So when you talk about Iowa being nowhere, I'm like, whoa, brother, you got to come on up here, man. You'll be like uh, almost tip looking down at the tip of nowhere. Oh, my gosh, that sounds terrifying. But the <laughs> fact that he was able to make, you know, Revolver, he draws five, six, seven, eight hundred people in Des Moines, Iowa to an indie show with the only television people on there are guys from Impact, and I'm not going to sit here and bash Impact. They've been through lots of changes, management changes, television channel changes. It's not, it's not for me to discuss, but they're not as accessible as they once were. So to say they're TV guys is, is sometimes fair and sometimes not, but he's able to make a crowd out of in Des Moines, Iowa, for a show with, for lack of a better term, a bunch of indie guys. And that's pretty impressive. Um, as far as Brian goes, uh, I wrestled Brian, I want to say it was November, maybe December, uh, and we're scheduled for the rematch in March. Um, Brian's a guy that knew that with his last name, he'd be afforded like opportunities that maybe somebody else would, but he's not the type of person to not like, here's, here's what people seem to like drop the ball on or not understand. Brian, I'm sure, could use his name to go anywhere he wanted. But once you get there, you still have to put in the work. You still have to work hard. And I think that gets lost. People are too quick to go, oh, he's just using his last name. Brian works hard. He's all over the place. That guy travels, like, ridiculously. So for anyone to say, ah, he's living off his dad's name is partially true, but it's not the extent of who he is, if that makes sense. Like he's, he may be continuing the legacy of his father, but he's creating his own path. He's a fighting out Definitely of his fighting, fighting out of a shadow that was cast upon him at a very young age. I mean, when you talk about Brian's story, I mean, he was even younger uh, than you were when you lost uh, your father. But you think when Brian was barely a child into the world, and, and to read and hear about and hear Brian tell this story about his life, you know, dealing with the aftermath of his his father passing, and you know, dealing with a broken home and stuff. He really grew up really hard and grew up fast to where he's kind of 
gotten to the point where, you know, what he has a lot more maturity than a lot of other people probably uh, his age ha- have at that, this moment in his life. Just because of he's a child of experience, he could have went a whole different avenue. But, 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 but he stuck to it. He found wrestling. And kind of like his dad, he is such a student to it. But where Brian uh, Sr. Would, would, would be in talking with Meltzer and, and watching films and, and the tapes. This is kind of a different version, kind of a modern social media version. But I think Brian Jr. is kind of following that path of always finding and accruing knowledge and actually using that knowledge and passing it on in, in his own way. Definitely. And and he's use, utilizing it to most of his potential. And the sky's the limit. I mean, Brian's a good guy, too. Like, uh, our match is highly competitive and a lot of fun. Um, I'm looking forward to doing it again. Uh, and I think there's a lot of big things on the horizon for that guy. And I, and I know that he's got a good head on his shoulders. So I look forward to seeing his growth. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to uh, flip it back over to Mr. Michael McCurdy for this uh, leg of uh, wrestling memories then and now. Uh, Mike, are you ready to get back in and talk to Mr. Handy Dalton? Well, most definitely. Uh, <clears throat> Andy, you kind of briefly uh, talked about it for a second there with you and Sammy Callahan on if people if people follow you on Twitter, one of the things they're going to notice is one of your most usual hashtags is all heart, no abs. And you mentioned body dysmorphia. And all that. Nowadays, you know, there, there at one point in time, there was a look. Everybody wanted to be that, you know, you wanted that chiseled, you know, muscular guy. That's, the, that's what people thought sold in wrestling. But now you're seeing guys that, you know, that maybe you don't have that chiseled look, but are just as talented, just as, you know, good in the ring or even better than these guys with the muscle looks on it. But how do you think now that the look of the wrestler has kind of evolved in the wrestling scene lately? And, you know, I I don't even know if it's fair to say it's evolved because I feel like it just went back to the way it should be. Because if you go back and look in the, you know, the eighties or even the seventies for that matter, like here's an example. Uh, in the 80s, Arn Anderson didn't look like Abdullah the Butcher, didn't look like Lex Luger, didn't look like Ricky Steamboat. See, none of those guys look anything alike. Now, you look at the era you're talking about where everyone, pretty much everybody in WWE, and this isn't a knock, I've got friends that work there, I'm not disparaging the name of the company by any stretch. Um, there was a time period where it was like wrestler A, wrestler B. If you had abs, a tan, tattoos and trunks you were a pro wrestler um i think they and i think part of what what they realized was let's take chris masters for instance which i love chris masters great guy super funny just just all around good dude i don't think chris masters got over with the crowd in the way they wanted because he wasn't unique when the entire roster looks like Chris Masters, how is he going to get over as being such a stand, you know, standout body guy when there's 50 other body guys? Lex Luger got over in the 80s because there wasn't a human being alive that looked like Lex Luger. So if he was, our, if he was the modern-day Lex Luger, that's great, except for the fact that everybody else looked just like it. I think we've gone back to the time where, it, like, and this isn't, again, this isn't a knock. If I look down an alleyway, and I saw Lex Luger down, if I, if I was looking at two different alleyways on each side, and at the end of one was Lex Luger, and at the end of one was Masada, and I had to pick one to fight, I'd pick Lex Luger before I'd ever fight Masada. Because it isn't all about muscles. 
and that's not disparaging Lex Luger by any stretch of the imagination. I'm sure he's tough in his, in his own right. I don't think that a look def- necessarily translates to someone who's tough or that can you. You don't have to have abs to fight. And in pro wrestling, it's not necessarily just about fighting. It's it's about heart, which is where that hashtag come from. Because I I'll, I'll never have abs. I I've never. I like I have a daughter who loves pizza, and I love it with her. I'll never have abs, and I've accepted that, and I'm not mad about it. Could I work to get it? I'm sure, but why? I don't I don't need it. I'm I have been as heavy as 260 pounds. I have been as light as 168. And my wrestling did not change whether I was heavier or light. I still wrestled the same. I'm still the same guy. I just may look bigger, may be bigger. Uh, I think we're in an era now where, it's again, it's not about looks. It's, it's about ability more than anything. Yeah, do you see, though, I mean, we're still talking about the body guys. Do you still see kind of, though, there are those guys that, they still want to book that guy that's got, you know, the muscle, the look, because they think, oh, that's what's going to bring, you know, the, the, the fans in. That's what, you know, all the women are going to want to see this guy because he looks so great. But then you got a guy like, well, we'll say, you know, or you or, well, you know, in my opinion, Joey Ryan. I don't think Joey Ryan's got the but people flock to see him. You know, you're, you're kind of thinking it's more that, you know, wrestling ability, character, that's more than, you know, the look. But are there still those promoters out there that want just that look? Oh, 100%. The, uh, the all heart, no ads hashtag came based off of a promoter who is not interested in using me because I don't have ads. He's just, he wants WWE guys or WWE shaped guys from that era. Um, and it started actually because there was a, there was a picture of myself and Gregory James, we had just won the Wrestle Circus Tag Team Championship. It was posted on social media, and this promoter, who I'm not going to say his name, I'm not going to give the guy any press because it's not my place. Uh, he comments on the picture, "Look at those abs on that on Gregory James." Completely negated the fact that we had just won the Tag Team Championship from Wrestle Circus, and completely negated the fact that I was in the picture. So I took that as kind of like taking a shot at me. Um, and I don't think it was, it might've been malicious. It probably was because I'm not a stereotypical professional wrestler that he likes, which is fine. There's a bunch of different flavors of ice cream. There's different movies, different music. There's different wrestlers. You don't want me on your show because I don't have abs. That's completely fine. I'll go make money elsewhere and I'll be entertaining elsewhere because abs are not seven foot tall or not. The one thing that I know nobody can ever take away from me is my entertainment value and my work ethic and my heart. So that's where the uh, all heart, no abs came from. Now, speaking of work ethic and, um, you know, just entertainment value, you've got a match coming up, I believe, next month against a man that he's been a guest on our show before, uh, definitely getting exposure in his own right. He was on the NWA 70th anniversary show back in October, and that's Barrett Brown. And this is a guy you have definitely gone many rounds with here in Texas, Louisiana. But what can you tell us a little bit about, you know, working with Barrett? And like, cause like I said, he's on, he's getting a national exposure as well now with all of what he's doing, but you guys have gone around the block many, many times. Yeah. Uh, me and Barrett have wrestled, uh, God, I, c- I couldn't even tell you how many times it's been a lot. Um, he's one of my favorite opponents. 
uh, Barrett brings a lot of fire out in me. He, he's just, he's an amazing competitor flat out. Uh, and our next match is February 17th, I believe. It's in San Antonio, Texas. It is a 60-minute Ironman match. Um, the longest that me and Barrett have ever been in the ring together is in Mississippi. We did a two-out-of-three-falls match that went 34 minutes. Uh, I know that we'll be able to have a good professional wrestling match. I know that all the worries from people like, can you, you know, because, again, I don't have abs. Aesthetically, you wouldn't be able to think that I could go for an hour, but I, I know that I can. I think the my my main concern uh, is keeping the people engaged and excited for 60 minutes. We're in an age with the social media where people have short attention spans. Me and Barrett are going to have to go out there and have a match that keeps people excited, entertained for 60 minutes. Um, on the flip side of that, do I think me and Barrett can do it? 100%. There's nobody else I feel comfortable with in my heart that I know that I could go 60 minutes with besides Barrett. And that's, that's the God's honest truth. I'm overly confident that me and Barrett will produce an extremely entertaining, um, extremely exciting match. And by no means am I saying, am I, am am I saying it's not going to be hard work or it's not going to be probably one of the toughest tests of my career because it is, that's why I wanted the match. I, I'm a guy who likes to be challenged. I, I, I want to know, I want to push my boundaries. Uh, I spent three months at the NOAA dojo doing 300 push-ups and 500 squats every day, uh, training from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. I like to be challenged. I like to be pushed. I like to be taken to my breaking point and seeing exactly what I'm made of. I want to know what I'm capable of. And I've done death matches. I've done I've done pretty much cage matches. You name it, and I've done it. And I was trying to think to myself, what is a match that I know I could challenge myself with? That you know I know that I can do, but it'll be hard work. And that was an Ironman match. So I put it out there on social media that I was interested. Uh, promoter contacted me and said I'd love to do it. And I was like, all right, get Barrett on board. Barrett was like, where do I sign up? And here we are now. Now, you mentioned uh, three months you were over in Japan working, uh, training with Noah. Let's touch a little bit about that. What was, what was the experience like working in Japan? Because we've talked with many wrestlers on this show, and Japan is such a different, you know, just, not just different culture, but different audience for professional wrestling. <clears throat> Definitely. Um, working my first couple matches there, I was like, I don't, I don't know if what I'm doing is right or good. Uh, Cause it's just a different, it's a different atmosphere. It's a different type of crowd. It's a different type of wrestling. Um, being there was amazing. Uh, I was there for 83 days and I watched the news every morning and there was not one murder reported. Uh, the culture there is so much different. The food is great. The people are great. Um, the training was ridiculous. Like I said, we were doing 9am to 4pm every day. Uh, on show days, we had the train an hour before the show out by the ring while everybody watched us, which can be extremely stressful and intimidating to know you've got all these guys like a Minoru Suzuki, like a Kasuhiko Nakajima, like a Naobichi Marafuji, who are literally watching you work out and see what you're capable of and made of. Uh, it was strenuous as heck, but it was also very rewarding. People say they noticed the difference in my wrestling when I came back, that I was more aggressive, I was more confident, um, I was a smoother wrestler as far as my transitions and how I move. 
I mean, I guess I can kind of see it, but it's hard to notice stuff on yourself. Um, but if everybody else sees it and they feel like it changed me for the better, then, you know, that that's awesome. And I'm glad that I had that experience. Because, like I said, it was it was tough being away from my two children for three months. But uh, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I got to do a lot of cool things. I got to go eat at Kabuki's Restaurant. Um uh, I got a Rivera jacket, which is, you know, anybody who, anybody in professional wrestling knows that's, that's a big deal. Um, so it was definitely, uh, probably one of my favorite, if not the, the absolute favorite experience, um, of my career. I was, I was a part of the 2016 Super J Cup. How many people can say that? Like, that's, that's super cool. Um, I was a part of the GHC Junior Tag League. I also wrestled, uh, it was so crazy because, I, I didn't even realize what I was doing until it was like almost like it was happening. Uh, my first show there was in Corken Hall, which is like the Madison. It was like the ECW arena of Japan. And my first show there was the every year they do a thing called the Masao Memorial Show, where they have a memorial for the guy who started pro wrestling, Noah uh, Mitsuharu Masawa. And my first show there was the Masao Memorial Show. So. Definitely a lot of cool experiences, a lot of stuff I'll take with me for the rest of my life. One more thing I'd like to touch on before we uh, wrap up this edition, and I pass the mic back over to Glenn. Um, 15 years in the business, you know, like I said, I've been on, worked out at a lot of shows with you and got a chance to see you interacting with a lot of the up and coming guys, a lot of the, you know, the new guys that are just now cutting their teeth that are just starting their career. You know, you've done a few seminars and all that. How do you feel that, you know, you're giving back? to the industry because i see you on twitter and facebook and all and you'll push other talents you know hey book this guy this guy's great you know what are some of the ways you're kind of giving back now after 15 years in the business uh just like you said like i mean i'm a firm believer that no one opens all of life's doors by yourself sometimes somebody has to open it for you uh a lot of the opportunities i've gotten have been through other people and my hard work. I don't want to misconstrue that. It wasn't just someone, you know, it's not just about who you know. It's about who you know and what you're capable of. Um, I have this thing on Fridays. Every Friday on Twitter, I do Fave 10, where I'll tweet 10 people that I think the, the, the uh, internet wrestling community or maybe the wrestling community in general doesn't know about that they should. Uh, I not only hold seminars, but I travel with a couple of guys on a regular basis. And every time we travel together, I make it a point to go, guys, ask me questions. Tell me what you want to know about this. I'll explain this to you. I'll tell you about that. Uh, my inbox, and I'm not, you know, again, I'm not trying to put myself over. My inbox gets flooded every once in a while. People are going, hey, can you watch my match and critique it? Hey, can you give me some help, some advice? And I'll gladly help anybody because I got nowhere by myself. So I, 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 I like to be able to give back and help as much as possible because the wrestling business will grow, flourish, and be awesome long after I'm gone. So I want it to grow and prosper without me. So anytime I can lend any kind of knowledge to anybody, it's, I love it. I love it to death and it makes me feel really good. Um, I always joke that I know a whole lot about a little um, because no one knows everything or ever will. So I try to lend as much knowledge and help as I can. And I take little things from people that maybe somebody didn't know and I, there's nothing I love more and that I'm more you know satisfied with than seeing the light bulb go off in someone's head because they're like oh I get it I get it this is cool 
now I understand I can have a better match. I can do this better. I can perform better. That's that's so gratifying. So I, I like to give back in any way possible. I've done a couple seminars um, in Corpus Christi and up here in the DFW region. Um, anybody can reach out to me. Like I, I'll gladly help anybody watch. All I do is watch wrestling. Uh, that's I'm obsessed. I, I, I kind of... I kind of liken it to Tommy Dreamer, who once did a podcast, and they said, who, who's your favorite wrestler? He said, everybody. I just love pro wrestling. I can watch any style of pro wrestling and get some kind of entertainment value out of it and learn something, which is something I stress to everybody. You can have the worst match of your career, and you can learn something. You can maybe learn what not to do in a certain situation. So that I, I try to, you know, giving back is, is something I pride myself on. So I, I want everybody to lo- to learn, grow, and prosper just like I did, and I continue to do. I'm not. I'm nowhere near done. Like this is the start. Today is the start of my 16th year. Uh, I've got big things lined up, some really big stuff. So I'm I'm not done yet. And for the younger guys that I'm helping out, I'll teach them everything that they know, but I ain't gonna teach you everything I know because I'll help them get to a level. But I'm also concerned with getting myself to another level which is a good competitive environment and helps everybody in, in wrestling in general. All right. Well, I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn here for the last couple minutes of our show. Uh, Glenn, do you have any more questions for Andy? Well, it looks like uh, we've reached the top of the hour and uh, we've had a great conversation and uh, hopefully we can have uh, Andy back uh, in the, the coming weeks and months here. Uh, and he can, and, you know, fill us in on what's been going on with him. It was a great, uh, great, great uh, hour of uh, just chatting and, and learning about his career. I want to thank uh, Andy for uh, stopping by. Andy, it's a pleasure. Like I said, the invitation is open, my friend. Definitely. I would love to do it again. All right. I want to thank Mike McCurdy down there in in his uh, mobile studio. Mike, it's always a pleasure having you uh, working with me on these uh, wrestling Memories Then and Now episodes as we branch out into 2019. I'm always enjoying doing this show, man. You know, kind of like Andy, I'm doing my best to give back to the you know, wrestling community by doing shows like this so our listeners can learn more about, you know, not just the legends of the past, but the guys of the future and learn more about the indie scene. So, you know. Amen to that, my friend. For Andy Dalton, the grizzled vet Michael McCurdy, I'm Glenn Brockett. You've been listening to Rasslin' Memories Then and Now.